let me just uh, begin with our introduction to our amazing speaker for the seminar so we can begin this session. Uh, I will be your host for this seminar. My name is John Huff, and I have the privilege of introducing our seminar speaker, Dr. Nbi Ham. She is an ordained pastor. She is currently working uh, as a pastor at the Davis Community Church in Davis, California. Um, her formative experiences um, includes working with multiple cultures in Korea, Philippines, Mexico, um, as well as South Africa, Brazil, Mozambique, and so forth. And uh, Dr. Umbi Ham's uh, vocational and research interests include decolonizing identity development, intercultural pastoral counseling, and anti-racist pedagogies. Uh, she received her doctorate at Emory University in pastoral counseling, and she has a clinical license track in the marriage and family therapy, as well as her MA in uh, MA and uh, in uh, I believe, yeah, in at um, MA and MDiv in youth ministry at Princeton Theological Seminary, where I got to know her as one of my colleagues and friends. So. Um, you know, there's um, many other things that I can say about Dr. Han, but I do want to just uh, get to her. Um, she is a brilliant and bright scholar, and I have the privilege, and we have the privilege of actually uh, listening from her as she's also a careful and thoughtful pastor in ministry. So welcome, Dr. Umbi Han. The stage is yours. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, John. Um, I am going to share my screen at the moment. So here we go. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for making the time to be here today. Um, I would like us to begin with a word of prayer. So let us pray. Jesus, you engaged in honest, loving, and courageous conversations. May each person here who have come to attend this topic, may each person here find some small seed of what they came here to seek. And even if it is the smallest seed, we know that when it is planted in your kingdom, it can grow like wildflowers that cannot be tamed. And so we pray that in our time together, courageous and loving encounters will grow. We pray that they will expand and nourish the hearts of those who are hungry and thirsty for love, kindness, forgiveness, and justice. Help us to embrace possibility, respond graciously to disappointment, and take responsibility for the harms that we may have caused. May we hold tenderly those we encounter. May we find the wisdom we need, hear the needs of those we meet, and may we love the life that we are given, we pray. Amen. So, um, the reason why I am offering this workshop today about conflict management is because this subject has, uh, has been very dear to my life. I grew up in a household that didn't manage conflict in constructive ways. And so emotions were either expressed through violence, silence, or passive aggressiveness, or just pretending like they were not there. And none of these expressions helped me ex experience conflict as a positive and constructive thing. So this led me to avoid conflict, <clears throat> if at all possible, in my earlier formative years. But avoiding conflict has negative consequences. I'm going to stop sharing for a second. Um, avoiding conflict has negative consequences because it's like ignoring a dental cavity. You're going to feel some pain either way, whether you let it rot or whether you go and take care of it. 
And let me use another metaphor, a very Asian American metaphor. If you've ever watched a pressure cooker, you know, cuckoo, instant pot. I'm assuming that y'all Asian folks may know a thing or two about pressure cookers. There comes a time when the steam builds up in the pressure cooker and has to go somewhere. And if you don't let the steam out, it takes a really long time for the pressure to simmer down in that pot by itself. And you don't want to mess with the pot while it's full of pressure or the whole thing can explode in a very dangerous way. I think conflict can be like a pressure cooker and um, it can build up and can be very, very dangerous and hard if we don't know how the pot works and how to work with the pressure valve. One can make many delicious things in pressure cookers if we know how to use them. Um, but if we don't, it can be very hard. And so I wanted to use this metaphor as a way for us to think about conflict. And my hope is to help us gain a better understanding of how to handle conflict safely, uh, as much as possible, courageously, and constructively in ways that uh, can deeply nourish and enhance our lives. And with that, I'm going to try to share the screen again. So to, the, to do this, I would like to introduce two frameworks that have been immensely helpful to me as a leader of a church and um, when I worked as a therapist. Uh, the first of these tools is nonviolent communication, and the second is a framework for courageous conversations that uh, our church learned from this organization called Crossroads Anti-Racism Organizing and Training. Now, this is a very amb ambitious thing to try to do in a less than an hour, and so I understand that we may not get to courageous conversations, but if you have other questions afterwards, um, please feel free to ask, and maybe this will be a topic for another conference. So today I'd like us to, um, I don't know, just see what unfolds as we go through the topics. I do want to ask for your participation, and I will be calling on some people to uh, ask questions and respond in the chat. I think this is an important part of the learning process for skills like conflict resolution, where it's, you can't just, learn stuff in your head. You, you gotta try it out, you gotta practice. Head knowledge takes us only so far. So I will take some time to ask you some questions and if no one is uh, wants to participate, I've asked John, uh, Dr. Ha, to, to be my conversation partner so that, so that you all can see um, how these things are worked out in real life. So let me begin today with nonviolent communication. Uh, this is a framework that was developed by Dr. Marshall B. Rosenberg. And I want to hear from you in the chat if you are familiar with this, so that I have an understanding of how many people are familiar with it and um, whether to go in detail or just kind of move along. Nonviolent communication is a framework developed by this psychologist. Dr. Rosenberg, who grew up in inner city Detroit and was confronted daily with various forms of violence, which led him to inquire into the causes of violence, how to reduce it. In the framework of NVC, I'll call it NVC for short, has been widely disseminated in personal, professional, and political levels to peacefully resolve differences, including civil rights work, and desegregation of public schools. The core foundation of NBC is that all human beings have the capacity for compassion and empathy. But we resort to harmful or destructive behaviors when we feel disconnected from our compassionate nature. And 
for us to maximize and relate to the capacity that we have for compassion and empathy with one another, one of the most important tools that we have, which helps us stay connected to our compassionate nature is the language that we use. There is language that connects us with ourselves and with each other in ways that allow our natural compassion to flourish. And Rosenberg, Rosenberg calls this uh, language that he, he developed, this framework, nonviolent communication or compassionate communication. We all know that there is language that can be painful and hurtful. So NVC teaches us to listen to our deeper needs and the needs of others in ways that create connection rather than judgments, defensiveness, uh, criticism, counterattack. NVC helps us to express ourselves with honesty and clarity while paying attention to others with the same kind of respectful, empathic attention even under the most trying circumstances. So how do we begin? Think of conflict resol resolution as having conversation over tea. This is not Rosenberg's thing, this is, this is me. I, I just imagine, okay, when we think about conflict, let's think about, okay, I'm gonna have tea, this wonderful tea with this person, and what are the four ingredients that I will put in this tea? There are four ingredients, and um, which is observations, feelings, needs, and requests. I use these four categories anytime, anytime I can sense conflict arising. So let's begin with observation. The first thing we need to do is separate our observations from evaluations, assumptions, judgments, criticism. So what is an observation versus an evaluation? An observation is describing what we are seeing, hearing, touching, sensing without attaching our interpretations to that observation. For example, this is a real life example. Um, when I say, I don't know, Sam is a terrible lawyer. This is not an observation that is free from my evaluation. I have evaluated this person. Sam is a terrible lawyer. It's not an observation. An observation statement that is free from evaluation would be, Sam has not responded to his client's emails for three weeks. That is an observation. It just strictly kind of looks at, this is what I am observing without attaching any meaning to it or interpretation to it. So when I say he has not responded to clients' emails for three weeks, the observation leaves things open-ended because there are many reasons to why he may not be responding to his clients' emails. What could those reasons be? I wanna hear from you. If he hasn't responded to his clients' emails for three weeks, what are some of the reasons? That's right. How do you know Sam's emails haven't been going to spam? He's unwell. There's a family crisis. Maybe he's... Yes, exactly. And so that's why uh, NBC is helpful because it kind of helps us take a step back, take a breather, and think about all the different options the, to check things out before we impose or we attach our evaluations in ways that kick up other people's defenses because that wasn't their intention, that that may not have been what was going on. So um, let's try to discern whether the following sentences are observations or evaluations. Okay, one, John was angry with me yesterday for no reason. Can you write into the chat if this is an observation or an evaluation? Yes, this is an evaluation, exactly, because, uh, well, how do we know John was angry with me? 
Um, and how do we know it was for no reason? So that is an evaluation. Yesterday, Nancy bit her fingernails while watching television. Is this an evaluation or an observation? Yes, this is an observation. It's basically what I am seeing. Uh, she is biting her fingernails. I'm not saying, oh, she is so nervous. Well, she's just biting her fingernails and she's watching television. So this is an observation. How about my father is a good man? Is this an evaluation or observation? Yes, this is an evaluation. Yeah, because we haven't really given any like descriptions of what this father is doing. We have described our interpretation of how we perceive this person to be. She was so inconsiderate and obnoxious. This is evaluation. Okay, so y'all are very good at this. So I'm just kind of going to move along. I could see your face turning red as you raised your voice. Is this an evaluation observation? This is an observation, exactly. So now let's move on to the next step, which is to identify and express our feelings. So first we observe, just we make an observation. Okay, I feel like I am sensing my blood pressure rising here. And so I know that there's a conflict going on. What is going on? And so I'm going to observe. So for example, I will say, one of the observations yesterday, Nancy bit her fingernails while watching television. So I could observe that. You know, when, when this person bit her fingernails while watching television, and then we're going to move on to the next step, which is to identify and express our feelings. Um, first, I just want to tell a story. When I, uh, I grew up in a home where if I cried, my dad would be like, why are you crying? Stop crying. Like, and so I learned to hide my emotions at a very early age and pretend like they're not there. I don't have emotions. So bite my upper lip. Whenever I feel the tears coming, I dissociate myself from my emotions. That's how I grew up. So I learned to alienate my body, my heart from my feelings because uh, I learned that they were bad. It was unsafe to show my emotions, so I need to, to hide them and pretend like I don't have them. And this hindered me from understanding my own needs and needs for the first like 25 years of my life, which took a serious toll on my emotional and physical health. It's one of the reasons why I started psychotherapy and found this tool of NBC to be helpful in my whole own journey of healing. There is a huge cost to alienating ourselves from our feelings, like leaving a cavity unchecked, mishandling a pressure cooker. So how do we attend to our feelings and express them in ways that reduce the conflict and create compassionate connections? First, we need to distinguish feelings from non-feelings. So a lot of us, talk about our feelings, but sometimes it's not really clear that they are feelings. Well, at least in the NVC framework, Rosenberg thinks that we, it's helpful to be very clear about our feelings so that we are in touch with our deepest needs. And also we're not making judgments accidentally or I don't know, unintentionally with our feelings. So, so for example, if we use words like, I feel that, I feel like, I feel something, as if. Um, that can be a little bit unclear because, for example, if I say, I feel that you should know better, this is not a feeling. You should know better is not a feeling. It's an evaluation of someone else's, like, I feel like... This is an evaluation of how I think that another person should be acting. And I don't have control over that. So uh, to say, I feel that you should know better is not really getting at the core of our feelings. I feel like a failure. Failure, at least in the NVC framework, is not the best way to express our feelings. It is, it is not a feeling. 
according to NBC. It's an evaluation of my performance. I've already judged that, that this is a failure. So I feel like a failure is not quite a feeling, but an evaluation. I feel as if I'm living with a wall. This again is a description of another person as a wall. So uh, these are not feelings. So, so let me um, ask some of you, if I were to try to um, convert this sentence into a feeling, I feel that you should know better, what might you put there instead? I feel what might be the feeling that doesn't have any evaluation or attachment of an interpretation. Yeah, I feel disappointment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel disappointed. I feel upset. That's right. Yeah. And I think that could apply to all the other sentences as well. I feel like a failure. I feel disappointed in myself. I feel upset with myself. I feel as if I'm living with a wall. I feel frustrated. That could be another way to identify our real feeling. Okay, um, and I recognize some of these questions. I may be able to come back to this later. So, um, so hold on and please remind me of the questions uh, when, uh, when I come to the end of this. So yes, yeah, so um, feelings versus non-feelings. It's very important to distinguish between what we are really saying when we are um, locating these feelings. Another uh, thing to watch out for is pronouns. Um, if we say, I feel you don't love me, I feel that you don't love me. We're actually just making an evaluation about another person's actions. So you don't love me is not really a feeling. It is useless, it's not really a feeling. You can say, um, I, feel, I feel hopeless. That is a feeling. Um, or like when you put in names, I feel that Sean is being manipulative. Again, this is not a feeling, this is about somebody else's actions. So you see, when you're trying to locate the feelings, what we're trying to do is not to make a judgmental statement about my perception of others or a judgmental statement even about myself, but to really clarify, what is it? What is it that I am actually feeling here? And make a distinguishment of it, about that. And the other thing is to distinguish feelings from judgments, distinguish between what we feel and what we think we are. So for example, I feel inadequate as a mother. That's a judgment about myself. And so perhaps another way to put it might be, I feel impatient with myself as a mother. So there's a very slight difference here between making a judgment about myself and realizing that I have a feeling right now, it may or may not say anything about my capacity to be a mother, but I, I am feeling this, which is that I may feel patient. So, I mean, here you may feel like we're splitting hairs, but this is a practice that helps us pay attention to feelings with compassion and not harsh judgments on ourselves or others that sometimes just aren't helpful in, in reducing conflict or negotiating with others. So yes, um, rather than inadequate, we could say, I feel disappointed, I feel impatient, I feel frustrated. Other things to watch out when you're talking about feelings is um, our verbs that are passive. So our it's interrupted is not really a feeling because it's actually someone else's doing the action. Someone else is doing the interrupting. So when I say I feel interrupted, um, that's not getting at the core of the feeling, but rather talking about 
what someone else is doing to us. I'm going to move on. So these are all verbs that um, that are interpretations. Abandoned, someone else abandoned me. Abused, um, abused is you know you if you've experienced abuse then y yes, but that's not the feeling of it. So attacked, betrayed, all of these words take the locus away from my um, taking responsibility over my own feelings and puts it into the realm of another person. And so um, that would be helpful for us to recognize how are my feelings rooted in my own needs? And I can control, you know, I, I, I can control myself and my actions, um, well, barely, uh, and so I think it, starting with ourselves is just a good way to pause the kind of judgments or critique that can escalate conflict and to really try to be compassionate with ourselves first about what is going on here with me. So build a vocabulary for your feelings. Um, it took me a very long time to try to figure out that I mean, mad, glad, sad, happy, right? It's, but there's so many other words that can help us um, get acquainted with ourselves and to get to know ourselves a lot better. And look, there are so many different kinds of words. So on the left side is um, our words that, that we feel, like our, the feeling words when our needs are being met. So, engrossed, enlivened, enthusiastic, excited, exhilarated. And then on the right are the ones that um, we feel, the feelings that we feel when our needs are not being met. So some of you, I think I asked, um, uh, can we have this list? Why not? <laughs> yes, I, can, I made this resource so that everybody else can have it. So um, yeah. I'll be able to share it with you all. Okay, so let's move on to taking responsibility for our own feelings. When we hear a negative message, we have four options about how to respond. So one, uh, we could blame ourselves. So for example, if somebody said, you're the most self-centered person I've ever met, we could be like, yes, I am a flaming narcissist. We could do that. We could blame others. No, you're the you're the inconsiderate person. Um, you're selfish. Or number three, we could sense our own feelings and needs. So um, when we sense a feeling, think about it as a plant that has roots, and think about the roots. What are the needs that are giving birth um, to these feelings? So we could say. To the person who gave us that feedback that we're the most, I don't know, a self-centered person that we've ever that they've ever met, we could say, observation, hey, when you say that I'm the most self-centered person that you've ever met, I feel angry because I need some recognition of my efforts to be considerate. That could be one way to um to clarify what we are feeling, what we are observing, and what I'm needing. And then number four, we can also use the same categories to sense other people's feelings and needs. I could say, hey, are you feeling hurt because you need more consideration for your preferences? And have I not shown that enough to you? How can I show that to you? So this is a way to take responsibility for our own feelings and also to listen to other people's feelings and needs. This is the practice of uncovering the roots that are connected to our feelings rather than attributing total responsibility for our feelings and the actions of other people. And if nothing else, NVC helps us to connect more deeply to ourselves. What are the things that are really important to me? What are my my hot buttons. 
And where does that come from? I have a certain history with a certain issue that makes me really angry. And we can't always blame the intensity of that anger on other people or others uh, because I carry a history and a sensitivity that comes from way like deeper roots than this little interaction. So uh, knowing the roots, knowing the needs of our that give rise to our feelings helps us navigate the conflict by owning what is ours and not dumping it unfairly on other people. For example, two people can experience the same event and have totally different feelings. A pastor preaches a sermon. One person feels so appreciative. Oh, she's the best pastor ever. And then another feels really discouraged about what they heard. Oh, this person is terrible at preaching. The person feeling appreciative may have really needed to hear a word that fulfilled their needs, while the other person may feel discouraged because they have different expectations and hopes about what a sermon is or what they're going through in their lives. So rather than judging and blaming everything on that pastor, it may be helpful to become clearer about our own feelings and needs before figuring out our next steps. So uh, let's do an example of blaming other people with language um, that can uh, create defensiveness. So you made me angry by canceling two weeks in a row. That again is blaming it on this other person. They made me angry. They're the people that are responsible for my anger. Whereas the second sentence is, I was angry and hurt when you canceled our appointment two weeks in a row. That's an observation. Because I was needing what? To rely. I was hoping to rely on your word. My need was um, being able to rely on somebody. I am also needing reassurance that I matter to you as a client. So we state our feeling followed by an observation, and then we talk about our needs. I, I hoped to rely on your word. I'm also needing reassurance that I matter to you as a client. So in this way, we're able to state clearly where we are coming from and also state our feelings um, in a way that doesn't, hopefully doesn't make the other person um, feel responsible for all of our feelings and also just reduce some of that defensiveness. Um, what are our needs? So this is from the book, uh, NBC book. These are some of the needs, the basic needs that we all share. For those of us who are not in the practice of acknowledging our needs, it may be helpful to refer to such a list from time to time to increase our own self-awareness and needs that are really important to us. There are needs for autonomy, to celebrate, to have integrity, needs for interdependence, physical nurture, play, and spiritual communion. So let's try discerning now whether the speaker in the following statement um, is acknowledging responsibility for their feelings and their needs. Okay. I am sad that you won't be coming over for dinner because I was hoping we could spend the evening together. Is this person taking responsibility for their feelings and stating their needs? Yes, no. Yes, that's right. Okay, what about this one? I feel frustrated when you come late. Is this person taking responsibility for their feelings and stating their needs? No, that is right. Yeah, because uh, they never said their needs. 
It just said, when you come late, and that's it. Okay, and then the next one. You irritate me when you leave your desk messy. Are they taking responsibility for their feelings and acknowledging their needs? Nope. That is right. Yeah, it, especially they are not stating their feelings at all. I mean, you irritate me is, is they are doing the irritating. So it's not, I feel irritated. And then when you leave your desk messy, um, it's kind of an, I mean, it is a sort of judgy, isn't it? Like when I see a ton of books on your desk is another, is maybe a more observation. When I see all of the papers piled on top of each other, that's, a, that's an observation. Um, and then also they didn't say why they wanted to see a, a, a cleaner desk, right? It, they didn't talk about their own needs. And lastly, I am grateful for this ride because I was, I was, wow, um, that's my spelling error. I was, I was needing to get home before my children. I don't know why I even put that in quotations. You know, I'm sleep deprived. So just, you know, give me a break here. I was needing to get home before my children. This is yes, that's right. Yeah, I am grateful, feeling grateful because I was needing to get home for my children, acknowledging their needs. And so in this way, um, we don't, we can use NVC not only for uh, like negative feelings, but also positive feelings, giving um, clear feedback about what it is that I'm thankful for. So when I am, when I'm saying, hey, thank you, it's not just a general thank you, but hey, I'm thank, I'm really grateful for this because I was needing this. That's a very full filling way to express our gratitude to other people in ways that make um, may invite them to give even further because the the um, the assumption is that we are created for one another we are created for compassionate connection okay let us move on so how do we request how do we move from acknowledging our needs and feelings and, and observations to actually making requests? This is the fourth and final component of NVC. It's figuring out what we would like to request of others in order to enrich life for ourselves and others. How can we make requests in ways that meet my needs and leave room for others to respond from a place of freedom and compassion. These kinds of requests have the following elements. Positive language, clear, concrete action language, and, and requests. They, re they make requests, not demands. So negative requests like, hey, don't do this or don't do that are less likely to invite responses that you desire. For example, don't throw your socks on the floor, doesn't really get at the actual action that you want to see, which may be to see this, you know, which may be that you want to see the socks go into the laundry basket. So being clear, the clearer our request using positive concrete action language, the higher the chance we will see the action requested. Also, when we make requests, um, be mindful that other people have their own feelings and needs. NVC is about mutuality, working together to meet each other in the middle and not demand others to meet our requests. So you can tell if requests are demands when the speaker lays on a guilt trip. Um, if they say, if you don't do what I ask, then that means you don't love me. That's a guilt trip. Right. And so that's a demand that is not a true request. Um, they're not showing any empathy toward the other person's needs and and not giving them the freedom to respond out of their own needs and out of their desire to meet your needs. And so if you say, I don't care if you're tired, you 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 got to spend time with me this evening. That's that's there's no empathy there. There is no compassion for the other person. 
So NBC seeks to build relationships based on mutual empathy, honesty, compassion. And this means that the goal of the conversation is not to change the other people to get our way, but to do our best to communicate honestly, vulnerably, and empathically about what is going on with us and hoping it is an invitation. It's a vulnerable invitation for others to meet us and love us by fulfilling some of our needs if that is what how they desire to meet us. So let's look at the following requests and discern whether these are clear expression of requests. I want you to understand me. Is this a clear, concrete, positive action language? No. No, yeah, that is true. It is, it isn't really. Um, because we are like, what does it mean to understand you? What does that look like? Does that mean um, that I reflect back what you are saying? Every time we're talking that I, I reflect back, we don't know. So this is very unclear. I'd like you to be honest with me about yesterday's meeting. This is a tricky one. Are they being clear? Are they asking for concrete, positive actions? Yeah, this is, this is tricky. Um, this is, yeah, it's somewhat. I'd like you to be honest with me about yesterday's meeting. Can, it's, it's a little bit clear, but somewhat clear. But what does, what do they want me to be honest about? Uh, and what about yesterday's meeting do they want to, to hear about? So a better way could be, would you share with me your feelings on how I handled the conversation in yesterday's meeting? And what I might want to do differently in the future? So just being a little bit more specific can be very helpful. You know, when we talked about dogs in yesterday's meeting yes um, yesterday's meeting how did you feel about that did you like the flow of that conversation you see this invites a lot more specific clear um, kind of feedback that is you know that is a clear request it's a concrete thing that they can do and there's very little room for misunderstanding because if you say i want you to understand me there's oh, so broad it's very general. How about this one? I'd like you to prepare supper more often. Is this concrete, positive request? Yeah, so it is kind of concrete because they're asking you to prepare supper, but then the more often is like, how often, right? So yes, how often? So you would want to make it a more specific request. I'd like you to prepare supper um, once or twice a week or on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Those are concrete requests. And then lastly, I'd like you to tell me one thing that I did that you appreciate. Is this a concrete positive request? Yes. Yes, this is clear. That is, yeah. So we have moved through um, all of the four ingredients of NBC, which is observations, feelings, needs, and requests. We observe with neutral language in order to leave space for realities that are outside of our own interpretations that takes some humility and that takes also compassion on ourselves knowing where we're coming from and also knowing that not everybody uh, thinks the same way that we do um, we go we understand our feelings and the roots which are coming from our own needs and then 
we think about, okay, what kind of a request do I want to make here, knowing that this is not a demand, um, but I'm making this request in the most specific, positive, concrete way as much as possible. And then I also invite other people to the freedom to respond in the way that feels fulfilling and um, that arises from their, their compassion towards us. So those are the four things of NBC. And I, I realize, yes, we are, um, we are at the end. And so I'd like us to then have some time for questions, um, if that's okay. Dr. Dr. Ho, what, how do we do this? All right, so here is the first question um, from Nev. Sorry if I'm pronouncing, pronouncing your name wrong, but Nev Johnson. And I have kind of a very similar question here. She asked, if the other person, the persons in the conflict, are closed off to a dialogue like this and are defensive, how ought we to continue working at the problem in a kind way? Because I think in the ideal world, Dr. Ham, what you're you're, what you're teaching us is amazing. And I wish I can speak like this myself all the time, but it always takes two to tango in, in, in when it comes to communicating. So what if the other person is closed off to uh, a dialogue, a peaceful dialogue as such? Yeah, I think this is such a brilliant question. Yes. Um, I think, and I don't know, um, John, are they able to speak at all? I believe not just because oh. we have so many people in here, but they can still chime in in the chat. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, um, when other people are closed off to talking, um, then we know that there is not a mutual goal here, right? So conversations, we need to, we need to find a way to meet each other where we can set up a mutual purpose. And if the other person does not have a mutual purpose that they want to be in conversation with us, then we need to examine why that might be, right? We don't always know, but is it because they are not feeling like we are able to really hear them? That's one example. If I, like I know someone who, no longer wants to be in dialogue with another person because they do not feel safe. If that's the case, then what is it gonna take for you, for, for everyone involved to make this a safe conversation? And one of the most important things that can help that cause is for us to keep listening and reflecting back what we are hearing, not becoming defensive, but really listening. If they're saying something and we say, we say, um, you know what, I think this is what I'm hearing. Is that, is that right? And, and when we show that kind of attitude where we're really trying to listen to their feelings, their needs, and what they're actually requesting, there, it's rarely people, rarely do people like not want to be in conversation. Um, because when you have somebody and you know that they're really interested in listening and really listening to understand, people usually, usually are wanting to be in that conversation. Now, if that's not the case, if it's not about issues of safety and they just, they just are not invested in, in a relationship with you, then we do not have um, any control over that. So what we can do is acknowledge, I am sad. I am upset. My feelings, right? I am sad because I had hoped my need was to be in relationship with that person. Um, but that is not gonna happen. I made that request and they were not willing to be in conversation. So I respect where they're coming from. And I just grieve by myself and, and shed some tears. So that's my answer to this person's wonderful question. I wish I had known more of the context. Yes, thank you. I imagine each context might uh, be different, but it seems like Dr. Ham is also allowing us through MBC communication that, you know, sometimes there is time to 
uh, maybe grieve on your own and walk away because the other party is not interested in being in relationship or in conversation with you. Um, here's another one by Jess Kim. And she asks, how do we reconcile these very westernized styles of making requests with our Asian family members who do not communicate in these ways, ways that may translate as culturally offensive or inappropriate or perhaps very complicated or complex for uh, some of our Asian family members to understand? It's an excellent question. And I'll let you take it away, Dr. Hong. This is such a great question. Uh... This is how I felt when I first um, encountered NVC. I was like, how do you ex expect me to do this with my parents or, you know? Um, my, uh, so I'll just share with you my perspective, which may be limited. So um, I'm just gonna share an honest story with you. You know, my father, um, was very angry at me as, at a certain point um, because, sorry, there's a garbage truck outside, so I'm a little distracted, but, um, but he wanted me to do something out of fear for my own safety. And I just felt like I'll be okay, right? I'll be okay. And then he talked to me in a way that was so harsh. And I had to listen and I said, you know what? He says some words that were offensive to me, but I am hearing his need for me to be safe. And he's so angry about that. And this is the only way that he knows how to express himself. And so what I said after he left this vile voicemail, um, I had to, I think I texted him and I said, thank you so much for expressing your concern for me to be safe. And I'm sorry that I cannot, um, I can't, I, I'm choosing to go a different way, um, but thank you so much for your love and for your concern for my safety. It means a lot to me. And I don't know. He didn't, he didn't, there was no, I think that it, it de-escalated that anger. And I think he felt understood. Um, and we, it didn't go in the direction that, that, that we could have gone. So I think that was one way that I, I was able to kind of respond to a communication style that uh, that isn't typical in at least in our household, which is Korean. Um, another time was with my <laughs> with my mother, and um, I was just very honest with her. And she does not talk this way, but I did say I said I said, you know, I am concerned that like. I know that you are growing old and uh, and we don't have a lot of time together. And I would really appreciate it if we could, you know, if we could talk more because I, I really value the time that is left on this earth with you and me. And I, and I hope that we can talk, I don't know, five minutes or whatever a day. Uh, and I, I wonder if that's meaningful for you. And we both cried because this was, this is not the way that we talk, but I was being vulnerable, even if she is not able to use that, this kind of same language, I was able to use it. Um, and it can be shocking and it can be like, whoa, it's very, it's very direct. Um, but I felt that we could get at the heart of things that we couldn't get otherwise. So I don't know if that's helpful for you at all. Um, but I would, I, I would imagine that there, like, we need some cultural sensitivity to navigate situations like these, um, especially given our language too, because like, 
language makes a huge difference. NVC is an English thing. And so to do that in, to translate it into Korean for me was very, was, was it took some navigating. So I, I just want to acknowledge that your question is, is, it resonates because it is hard. It is hard. And you, I think, as you kind of need to make those choices for yourself. And I just feel like, oh, this is a, such a good question that I need dialogue on. So that's that's my answer. Thank you, Dr. Ham. One last quick question, and maybe you can't answer it quickly, but these are phenomenal questions. We have so many, but this might have to be our last one. When there's a power dynamic um, at play, meaning there's differences in position due to power, um, does NBC accommodate for that? Is there are certain distinctions that needs to be made? Yeah, I think that that is that is another very brilliant question. And it is such an important one, which was why I was trying to um, bring in some anti-racist values, uh, which I don't have time for. But um, I think we need in those situations, for example, I work at a predominantly white institution at this moment. So um, when we have conversations, NVC is not enough. Um, I think we need a little bit more of a power analysis in conversations in settings where, yeah, there is there are major differences in power. So what is going to ground our conversation? What values will how shall we anchor our conversation in 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 values that reflect an awareness of the power dynamics? and move our conversations toward anti-racist values. So, so our institution, um, we received some training from Crossroads Anti-Racism Organizing and Training led by Reverend um, Jessica Vasquez Torres. And we gained some shared cultural values, for example, like um, values of collaboration, of embracing here, let me, um, can I share the screen? Am I sharing this? Can I share my screen, John? Okay, he's, he's gone. But anyway, um, so um, for example, now every time we have a conversation, we talk about our values. What are our values? So we, we talk about, okay, we want to listen to understand. We want to take responsibility. We want to make room for diverse voices. And we also want to preserve the integrity of our stories. So when we, when we share our stories now, or when we are wanting to, um, to work towards a goal, we, we think about, is this consistent with our anti-racist values? So, as a community, what is helpful is to have some shared understanding about these are goals that we want to have together. And so one is, is this, are we, are we making room for diverse voices when we are making this decision? How is this serving our goals for anti-racism? How is this serving our goals for more collaboration, transparency, and kind of um, deconstructing whiteness in our institution. So this is, I think that this has been helpful in the way that we um, have conversations where there are power dynamics present because there are other values that take, um, that all of us have agreed to live by. And um, that's not always present like in communities. And so I think that's where that's where there is a lot of conflict. Um, and I feel like, oh, we don't have enough time, but that yeah. answer to the way that I have um, navigated that kind of these kinds of conversations in a predominantly white institution. Thank you, Dr. Han. We really appreciate it, especially your personal stories and anecdotes and uh, experiences in dealing with some of these uh, topics that are coming up through the questions. Uh, thank you so much. You can tell by all the emojis that are going up there. We thank you. I know that we didn't get to uh, answer all the questions, but if you do have those uh, pertinent questions that you still really want answers from Dr. Hom, 
um please do uh let us know um here at um our center for asian americans christianity by emailing us and we'll do our best to uh, respond back thank you so much we will see you all in one of the 2 p.m um seminars bye